Welcome to Gateway. If you're kind of new, then you may not know me, and that's okay. I'm Pastor Dave, and Brian did so well last week, we put him over in the big house in St. Albans. So he's over there today, and he's preaching the Word today. Thank you. If you were a part of last week, thank you for being a part of our largest in-person Easter attendance ever. Uh, 1,537. That's awesome. Now, that they, they weren't all here, but this campus alone, we had over 500 people. And you know, they say whatever you hit at Easter, you're, uh, you, you're, it's possible that you might hit in about three years out. So as uh, our elder team, we're already thinking about, we're going to have to go this way, don't you think? We're going to have to go that way. It might take up a little bit of the play area, but I think if we could build... Um, Three or four hundred seat uh, auditorium over there that that would serve us well, <clears throat> and I uh, also want to say a word uh, many of you have given for this uh, thing sitting out here in the yard it 's been there a while because we've we 've been wrestling uh, figuratively speaking with the Putnam County Planning Commission, but that modular uh, we now have approval to start that. Some of you have given toward that. Thank you. Some of you are thinking about giving to it, and thank you in advance. Uh, it's going to be a fabulous facility to supplement our, uh, our ministry here. Children's ministry is growing <clears throat> so much that, you know, there's a back door over here outside the student room, and they're pushing the students out. They're just pushing them out. And so our students are going to have to go over there and uh, give more space to our children's ministry. Piper did a great job. She left. She and Steve went to the barren wasteland of the north. And... Uh, and Aubrey stepped up, and she's uh, teaching our young people, and Luke is doing a great job with our students. And that place is going to be a place where we can teach our, our students the Bible, teach them God's Word, but also how to defend what they believe. You know, when many of us were growing up, we didn't have to defend it. Nobody challenged us. Nobody pushed back on our faith. In fact, you could go to school, and most of your teachers, Christians went to church somewhere, but it's not like that today for our kids and grandkids. It's just not like that at all. In fact, with the, with the age of social media and the phone in every hand, uh, more so now than ever before in the history of the world, your kids in your house can be influenced negatively in a way that will impact them for years to come. So we have, as parents, we have to be mindful and vigilant what's coming into, our, uh, into our, the lives of our children, into their brains. And uh, the very least we can do, and I, it's the least we can do because there's more to be done, is teach them what they believe, but why they believe it and how to defend their faith. Are you with me? And that's what we're about here at Gateway. It's not, not just entertainment. Our student ministry is not just entertainment. It's not just all fun and games. It's, it's what's the Bible say? What does the book of nature say? Uh, what is, let's put those together and let's teach kids how to defend their faith. And that's what we're trying to do here at Gateway. So thanks for last week. Uh, God is good. He gets all the glory for that. <clears throat> and um, thank you for being here and for loving this place. And I know you're loving Brian. Brian's doing such a great job. I was so pleased with how he stepped up. Uh, you know, he came from Ohio too, but we gave him a chance. We gave him a chance. 
put him in here, and he's doing a great job. He's doing a great job. Luke and uh, this, this, this team here is uh, doing so great. And so thank you for being a part of it. If you're not a part of it, but you're thinking about it, I'm going to invite you to take a step closer today because some good things are happening here. Listen, I, I have a lot of friends in ministry and a lot of people in other churches in this state and in other states. <clears throat> There's a lot of churches struggling right now. A lot of churches. Uh, you know, my home church and other churches in, in the southern part of the state are struggling just to keep their doors open. They're struggling to, uh, you know, just to, you know, to do, do anything. And let me tell you what I'm, what I'm learning, especially most recently with some, even some churches in our area, right here in this area, is that if we fail to invest in our young people, if we fail to give them the best we can give them, I'm not talking just about facilities, but I'm talking about our training and our teaching and all that. If we fail to invest in that generation, then one day the average age will creep up to 60, 65, 70, and this will be a dying church. You with me? You understand what I mean? <clears throat> so... Thank you for being uh, uh, people who are interested in that and investing in that with your, uh, with your time, but also with your, with your money, uh, with your dollars, as you give to the Lord, uh, to, to the place that's feeding you and your children. So we're wrapping up our series today on uh, the road to redemption. Next week we start a new series, five weeks every Sunday in May, on family matters. It's called Family Life. <clears throat> so... Brian will be telling you next week how to, how to have and keep a great marriage, all right? So we'll be talking about that next week. But today we're wrapping this one up, The Road to Redemption, and we're talking about, this has been a great series too, I think, took us through Easter. We're talking about how the life of Jesus impacted the life of Peter. You know, when Jesus met people, he never left them the same, did he? He never left them the same. They were changed in some way. Some of them were healthier, some of them were happier, and we have to admit, some of them left a little bit disgruntled. Remember the rich young ruler walked away, what? Sad. Because he was holding on to his possessions. <clears throat> Judas, he left. And so, but Jesus changed everybody. And I just want to challenge you, if you truly meet Jesus, if you allow him into your circle, into your life, you allow him to permeate your brain cells in your heart, he will change you. He'll change your loves. He'll change your desires. He'll change your habits. He'll change everything about you. Oh, it'll be the same you, but it'll be his version of you, which I guarantee you and I promise you is better than your version of you. I know you might say, no, but Dave, I've got this picture of me looking like this and doing that. God's version of you is so much better than your version of you. So let him change you. You know, it was Jesus that, uh, that took these unschooled, ordinary men. I mean, they, they weren't even educated. In the first century, you know, we, we're, we have a 21st century brain, but first century, the people were scraping by. They're like maybe the people of, of a third world country today, like Haiti, for instance, uh, where people just, they're not worried about, you know, what's their next addition to their house going to look like, or, or uh, you know, what's their next car, or how do I wash the car I keep in the garage most days. They're worried about what they're going to eat today, what we're going to eat tomorrow. And this is first century stuff, too. It, 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 is, it is 
people who had nothing, and Jesus took a band of them, the dazzling dozen we call them, these unschooled ordinary men, and turned them into men who turned the world upside down. You and I here today, two millennia later because of those guys. And Peter was one of those men. Now we've said that we like Peter because he's a lot like us. He had moments of greatness, moments of blunder. He, uh, you know, he'd open his mouth when he should have kept it shut. He kept his mouth shut when he should have opened it. And there's so much that we could relate to Peter in. You and I are a lot like Peter in a lot of ways. Maybe he was a little bit more to the extremes than you and I are, but uh, we still like him. <clears throat> he was a pebble who became a rock. Even though he became a rock preached the first gospel message, he still struggled with things. You know, the Apostle Paul told us in Galatians chapters 1 and 2 that he had to confront Peter because Peter was hanging out with the Gentiles until the Jews showed up, some of his old buddies, and then he withdrew from the Gentiles like they were a dirty party, a dirty people, and he started hanging out with the Jews. And Paul said, why are you treating them this way now? And so uh, Paul said, I opposed Peter to his face about this uh, discrimination that Peter was showing. So I say that to say this, even as we grow in our faith, even as we get older physically and spiritually, we're still going to struggle with things, aren't we? I mean, how many 70, 80-year-old people in here still struggle with things? There aren't many 70 or 80-year-old people in here, but thanks for letting us know. <clears throat> But we still struggle. We're still going to struggle with things. Last week in our sermon, we read from John 21. Before I get to my main text today, which is in 1 Peter, I want to kind of close out Peter's life uh, a little bit from John's perspective. All right, John 21. We read where Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Let's look at 21, 18, and 19. Jesus said that to Peter. He said, do you love me? Follow me. And then he looked at Peter and he said, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And listen to what he says in parenthesis. This he said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. <clears throat> it says he there, but it means Peter. And after saying this, he said to Peter, said to him, follow me. Now, what would you do if you knew how you were going to die? You know, some people are given that information. Maybe they are diagnosed with some kind of disease and they, the doctor says, you've got a few weeks, you've got a few months or whatever, you know, it's in God's hands, right? And, uh, and, and here's how you're going to die. You're going to lay in a bed and you're going to have morphine drip or IV or something and this is, this is how you're going to die. And maybe that's the way a lot of us are going to die here in modern, in an age of modern science and, and technology that we can die peacefully without pain. But, but what, if, what if you found out, hey, you're going to die in a violent car crash or you're going to die, uh, you know, this way or that way. Peter found that out. Now, when I was younger, before I really read the scripture deep enough, I used to think when Jesus said this to Peter, he was talking about Peter becoming an old man. When you were younger, you did what you wanted to do. But when you get older, you know, you're going to lose your mind and people are going to have to lead you around. You know, some of us, some of us are that way now. You know, we uh, remember you got to take your pills today. 
you know, and so and I thought maybe that's what the Lord was talking about, but, but scholars say that's not what Jesus was talking about when he talked to Peter this way. What he was talking about, one scholar says this is a, this is a uh, poetic foreshadowing of a crucifixion. Peter would stretch out his hands, be arrested, and led to a place he didn't want to go. So, knowing that, how do you think Peter felt when Jesus said, one of these days you're going to die by crucifixion? Now, we might think, oh, Peter's like, oh, man, I didn't want to die that way. You know, I used to think I wanted to die catching a cannonball or something. You know, if you're going to die, do it big, huh? But I think Peter would have taken some comfort here. Remember, he's coming out of a threefold denial and then a threefold restoration. And Jesus said, Look, Peter, don't have to worry. You're not going to deny me again. You're not going to throw the towel in. You're not going to cave or wimp out to the pressure. You're going to go down by crucifixion, just like I did. That's the way you're going to go down. I think Peter would have taken some comfort. Like, yes, thank you, Lord, for letting me know. I can get on with things because I'm going to go to the death for you. Remember when Peter said, Lord, they might cave, they might give in, but I will die for you. You remember that? And then he denied him. Peter said, Lord, uh, Peter, you're going to, uh, the Lord said, Peter, you're going you're gonna to do it. You're going go to go all the way to the cross for me. And then I think Peter was kind of engaged and disengaged when Jesus was asking him if he loved him. In verse 21, the Bible says, when Peter saw John, that's who he's talking about, when, when Peter saw John, he pointed and said, and I'm adding words here, I know, but it's kind of added in. He said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? In other words, what about John? You just told me I'm going to die by crucifixion. What about him? Jesus said, none of your business about him. That's my paraphrase of this verse. If it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. You ever had anybody that's more worried about your life than their own life? I mean, I'm not talking about loving someone. I'm talking about meddling. You know, they got the log in their eye and they're trying to take the speck out of your eye. That's kind of what Peter was doing here. Was, okay, Lord, but what about him? What's he, what, how's he going to die? Jesus said, don't worry about him. I'll worry about him. You worry about you. You worry about you. You do what I told you to do. And let him do what I tell him to do. And you know, there was a rumor that floated around, John said, that because Jesus said, don't worry about him, worry about you, that John would live until the Lord returned, that he would not die. But John clarifies that and said, Jesus didn't say I wouldn't die. Jesus just said, Peter, mind your own business. If I want him to be, have a long life, then, uh, then he's going to have a long life. And so we know that, that Peter uh, took that and he went forward with his life and he did what he could. If you found out the manner in which you were going to die and maybe the time, although Peter didn't know the time, wouldn't you kind of amp up the pressure and, and start doing what's really important and what really matters? Sure you would. We all would. Now scripture tells us, mainly in the book of Acts, that Peter, he led the charge for the first uh, nine chapters of the book of Acts, it was Peter leading the charge. Peter, James, and John became pillars in the church. It was Peter leading the charge. He was taking the gospel to the, uh, to the Jewish people. And then God called a man named Saul, he changed his name to Paul, in Acts chapter 9. And then from Acts chapter 
10 on, it's about the ministry of Paul. So Peter kind of took a back seat, but Peter's ministry was more to the Jewish people, although he preached to all of them. He became a pillar, not a my pillar, but a pillar in the Jerusalem church, you know, his stalwart in the Jerusalem church. And church tradition through a leader late first century, we're talking Peter, uh, the 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 Tradition tells us that when uh, in Rome, when there was a fire in the slums, you know, the first Christians were poor people. The first Christians were just ordinary poor people. Everybody in the first century was poor unless you were rich. I mean, there was no middle class. Uh, everybody was poor. And so when Christianity started, it started with common people. And a lot of them lived in slums. I mean, you can find places in the scripture that bears this out. And so when the, uh, there was a fire that broke out in the, in the lower class uh, area of Rome, and Nero was already partly crazy. You know, he was wild, erratic thinker, and um, he had a lot of people killed in his life to protect his throne. But uh, he took advantage of the opportunity from the fire to blame the Christians and ramp up the persecution on them. Originally, the persecution for Christians came from the Jewish people, but the Romans picked up on this because for them it was fun. And you might think I'm joking there, but the, the Romans were masters at extermination. And if you didn't agree with them, they'd just do away with you. <clears throat> so, in about AD 64, the fire happened. Nero ramped up the persecution of Christian, and two important people were captured. One was Paul, and one was Peter. And so tradition tells us that at about 65, AD 65, both Paul and Peter were Terminated, they were executed by the Romans. A church leader after that, Clement of Rome, tells us that Peter was eventually arrested during the reign of the Roman Emperor Nero, and this is only 30 years after it happened, so it's probably true. And uh, this second century church leader, Origen, says Peter was crucified by the Romans and requested that he was not worthy to be crucified in the manner of his Lord, so he asked to be crucified upside down. Now, there's some people who debate that because they say, why would they do that? Well, Josephus, Josephus was a first century Jewish historian, and he tells us in his writings that the Romans indeed experimented for sport, just for the fun of it, crucifying the criminals in a lot of different uh, ways. They were cruel. You know, we give Romans the credit for a lot of great things. The peace of Rome allowed the gospel to be preached. They had a roadway system unlike any ancient civilization. They had a language that went, it was a universal language. There was so much good about Rome, but I want to tell you, you mess with Rome, you're going to die. And so uh, they, there was a lot of persecution and they had fun with it. Origen is a 4th century Leader, and he said that uh, I, did I mention Origen? I already mentioned him. Uh, there's a, a fourth century leader named Jerome that I have a quote from, and he said this. Now, this is a few hundred years later, but he said, At Nero's hands, Peter received the crown of martyrdom, being nailed to the cross with his head towards the ground and his feet raised high, asserting that he was unworthy to be crucified in the same manner of his Lord. So that was Peter. Peter finished strong. Be faithful until what? Death. I'll give you the crown of life. And that was Peter. 
Now, before Peter died, he left us with three documents. We have the Gospel of Mark. Most scholars believe, there's not hardly any dispute about this, that John Mark spent time with Peter when he was preaching in Rome, or Jerusalem rather, in Jerusalem, and he recorded Peter's sermons, and also had some face time with Peter. So the first gospel ever to be written that we know of, the first gospel was the gospel of Mark, and Mark's gospel was given to him by Peter. It was really Peter's remembrance of Mark's gospel. There's a lot I could say to prove that, but just take my word for it for now, all right? But he also left us with two other books in the Bible. Do you know what those were? First Peter, Second Peter, First and Second Peter. And so what I want to do today with the rest of my time, I want to see if Peter could talk to us now, what would he say? What would Peter say? I think he would tell us what he told the first century people. So in First Peter chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 3 through 9, we're going to get a snapshot of what Peter would say to you, to people of all generations, and especially to the people of the first century to which he wrote. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while... If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's a long sentence right there. Though you have not seen him, he writes to these first century people, they, lived, they were a generation after the apostles, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If I could sum that up in one word, what, what is Peter trying to say to these people? What is he trying to remind them of? What does he want them to look toward? It's the word, say it with me here on the screen, eternity, eternity, eternity. I, th I think that's what he's saying. Think about it. If you remember that passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when Paul was describing the end of the time when the Lord would descend from heaven with a shout, you know, all that stuff, he, made a, he said a phrase there two times that he firmly believed. This is the Apostle Paul. He said, we who are alive and what? Remain. will meet the Lord in the air. Paul believed he would be alive when the Lord returned. I think... All the disciples believe this. I think they all thought, you know, Jesus has left us. We saw him ascend into heaven, but he's coming back in just a little while. So we need to get busy making disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. And so I think they were working hard. So Peter's saying, look, I know, I know you guys are going through a hard time. I know you're suffering. But just remember, in just a little while, we're all headed through that door into eternity. How do you know they were suffering? Well, look, 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 just look in the book of 1 Peter. I've got these verses for you. 3.14, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, 
you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Don't fear the Romans. Don't fear these people. He says in chapter 4, verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, it's the only second time this word is used in the Bible. The first time it was mocking them. They, they were called little Christs at Antioch in Acts 10. But this is, uh, this is a, a word of being proud. I'm a Christian. I'm not ashamed. I'm suffering, but I'm suffering because people can tell a difference in my life than the life of my neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. 5, 8, and 9, he says, knowing that the same kinds of suffering resist the devil because the same kinds of suffering, everybody's going through it. And one more, 5, 10. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's what Peter's saying. He says, look, I don't know what you're going through, but whatever you're going through, whatever's going on in you or around you or through you, remember, we're all headed for one place. We're all headed for eternity. Eternity. And I want to tell you, folks, the older I get, the more real that becomes to me. You with me? So what's the encouragement we get for our lives today from that passage we just read? What snapshot does Peter want us as we're being hammered by persecution, as we're being beat down by, uh, you know, by our social media feed for being a Christian? What's the encouragement we're supposed to get? And I want to tell you, I said this in the first service, not in my notes, but it just came out, and I think it bears repeating, is that I, I, you know, we, we have this great temptation in America and maybe other countries do too, but I can't speak for them. But I think we have this great temptation to buy into this idea that somebody's going to get elected or somebody's going to take leadership or somebody's going to do something that's going to restore the glory days of our nation. And whenever that was, I don't know, they say in the 1950s more people were going to church than at any other time in uh, the history of this country. There was a time we didn't have to fight for uh, you know, uh, respect there was a time when we didn't have to, we didn't have to um, you know, come up with five reasons why uh, you know, I'm going to church and why I believe in Jesus. We didn't have to do that. But I want to tell you, those days are over. My little grandson wouldn't go to class this morning. And as I preached this, I was watching him sit back there. And I worry about the America that he's going to grow up in. I worry that our country is going to be so confused sexually so confused spiritually that it, and if parents, I just I feel for you. It's going to be harder for you to raise children than it was for my parents or for me. You have got to guard your child. And, and every single one of them, when they hit some certain age in your house, are going to get this little computer that's more powerful than anything their parents or grandparents could even imagine having access to. They're going to have it in their pocket, and they're going to have it in their bedroom, and they're going to be watching and looking at anything they want to, unless you guard it, unless you intervene. And if you think they're going to get edifying, encouraging, good stuff from their social media platforms then you are way past naive. Is anybody with me? Okay, I didn't know if I was out here on myself. I'm talking like a crazy man or something. So I need to know if you're with me. I want to tell you, parents, you need to, you need to be vigilant. You need to be vigilant. Social media 
has ruined the good old days. Uh, it can be used for good. I use it. I'm on Twitter. Occasionally I get on Facebook. can be used for good, but there's a lot more garbage. Algorithms, they know, they know what you think. You just got to think at one time, and it becomes a pattern for them, and then they're going to put it in front of you. And then you're going to be like, oh, wow, I know I shouldn't be looking at this, or I know I shouldn't be taking heart from this, but you're going to. And so if you're struggling with it, how do you think your kids are doing with it? It's, uh, it, it this country is not going to get better. Don't buy in to the temptation that some leader we can elect or some government or some party or some law is going to change things. Now, I'm not anti-USA. I'm, I'm as red, white, and blue as anybody. Last weekend, I took my step, my father-in-law, you know, uh, he's reaching close to 80, and it, it appears to me that any time a man reaches the age of 80, he starts talking about dying, you know, and maybe, maybe so, but so I took him out and we did something that I wanted to do. We bolstered up my flagpole because I got one of those telescopic poles and it doesn't work anymore, and I thought, well, this is a father-in-law moment and I'm going to tell you that man enjoyed every minute of that because that flag is flying high over his son-in-law's house and I, I love this country but I tell you what it, it's going down the tubes now don't think I'm being uh, a pessimist did you read in that focus verse three or four times Peter says the earth the heavenly bodies, it's all going to melt. It's all going to be dissolved. It's all going to be gone one day. And if you're holding on to the, that or the things in it, you're going to have a hard time standing up in the day of judgment. So Peter said, look, what you, don't, don't forget what you have. Real quick, here's what we have, Peter says. We have a living hope. A living hope. You know, Peter denied the Lord three times, and he wasn't there when Jesus breathed his last breath. He was in some dark place probably uh, crying and regretting and contemplating his future. Su uh, suicide might have come across his mind because Judas just did that. What was Peter going to do? How was he going to respond here? He wasn't there when the Lord uh, uh, you know, passed away, when he gave it his last. But Peter came back, didn't he? And he was restored. And he stood up there on the day of Pentecost and he said, Men of Israel, hear these words. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Listen to this. It's not on the screen. Acts 2.24. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And verse 32 says, and of that we are all witnesses. When Peter preached, he knew he wasn't preaching about a dead man in a grave, and some set of rules that some dead man made and imposed on the rest of humanity. He was talking about a living Lord, a living hope, and that's what we have. And, and, and it's our hope that gets us through hard times. It's our hope that gets us through discouraging times. Is that if I, if I can just plant in my kids, and if I can just teach them what the Bible says, what the Word says, and why they should hold to that, and one day we'll be in heaven together. Secondly, we have an imperishable inheritance. That's what he says, imperishable. Has anyone ever received an inheritance? Maybe you got some uh, uh, sum of money, uh, or you got a, maybe a house or property, or maybe a family heirloom. 
Maybe you got something that was prized in the family. Anybody ever received an inheritance? Come on, if you got cash, let us know. Come on. <laughs> Take note. Somebody write their names down. You know, my grandmother on my dad's side, before she died, she took masking tape and put it on the back of everything in her house. And then she wrote names down on it. Yeah, so grandchildren. And she had uh, my dad and his brother, and they had a sister, and then they had a brother who was killed when he was a teenager. So it was three of them, and my dad's sister's name was Sandra. Ain't Sandra, we call her, still alive uh, in South Carolina. And uh, so when Mama was around, some of us would go around and look at the little, you know, just little, little things on the shelf and whatever. She put masking tape on everything. And, and I think Sandra's name was on everything. <laughs> My sister said, ain't Sandra's getting everything? Well, she was the daughter. But, you know, I couldn't find anything with my name on it. So one day, uh, there was a flood the East River, where my grandmother's house sat near the East River, it came down the river and got up into her house, uh, just high enough that the clothes that hung in her closet, the bottom of them, got water. So it was three or four feet. And we had to go get her. We had to go get her and take her out of the house. And she was crying, and she said to me, she said, uh, uh, what I had for you, what I left you, uh, got washed out of the house and down the river. I started to take off, you know, the water had receded. I, what, what, what is it? Mama, what was it? I'm going to go look for it. And she said it was, it was a big box of Jimmy Swaggart sermon tapes that I had kept for you. My grandmother loved Jimmy Swaggart. She loved it. She was, an, she was an old Church of God holiness lady, and she loved that man sending money. Now, I don't care much for him. And I thank God for the rain that day, I'll tell you. <laughs> Two, about two years ago, my dad had her house torn down, and, uh, and uh, FEMA brought, bought the property, and uh, he gave me something for Christmas as a joke. It was about three Jimmy Swagger records, you know, the big records? And he gave it as a joke, but you know, it kind of has sentimental value to me now. Now I'll never listen to him, but uh, it, it was, that was my grandmother. That was my inheritance from her. It was my inheritance. I look forward to being in full reception of an imperishable inheritance. Don't you? I mean, we fight over stuff, and we put our names on stuff, and we, we lose family relationships, and we get angry at people because, hey, it's a piece of property. It's a house. It's, a, you know, it's something that I wanted, and you got it. And we, we, we will we'll, we'll lose our, uh, uh, you know, our demeanor over things like this, won't we? And it's all going to melt one day. It's all going to be dissolved. But we have something that's imperishable, which means it's not affected by the natural laws of, of entropy. We have something that's undefiled, which means it is absolutely perfect and will never, Jesus said, a, a, a moth and rust will not touch it. It's unfading, which means it'll never wrinkle, it'll never lose its beauty or its value. We have very, listen folks, we have very little understanding and comprehension of what God has waiting for us. You may think that you know, and there's little glimpses of heaven walking on golden streets. I mean, imagine gold, the most precious thing here is paving material in heaven. We have little understanding of what God has for us. It's going to be better than you ever imagined. Thirdly, we have an inexpressible joy. You know, something that's deep down, 
Peter acknowledges in this letter that there's an ongoing battle in this life between the joy and sorrow. Let me tell you something contrary to what you've heard or what you might believe, but this, it's not possible to have your best life now. Anybody with me? You tracking with me? You can't have your best life now unless you're not a believer. Now, if you're not a Christian, you better grab everything you can get, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you're going to die. Grab all you can. But if you're a Christian, this life pales in comparison to what we have coming. And, and the older you get, the, the deeper that joy becomes, so much so that I can't describe to you what that means to me. I can't express to you what it will mean to me one day to be with my family, those gone on and those still coming in a place where we'll never die and never, the Bible says in Revelation 21, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain for the former things have passed away. We rejoice over a future existence with no more death, sickness, trouble, decay, war, conflict, pain, suffering, betrayal, denial, grief, guilt, sorrow, anxiety, tears, discipline, hatred, disappointment, misunderstanding, weakness, failure, ignorance, confusion, imperfection. And we could go on and on and on. Not in heaven. Not in heaven. Because there's one more thing we have, and that is a great salvation. It's a great salvation. This is not your best life now. It's coming. And uh, uh, we don't have any direct references to Peter using the phrase great salvation, but let me show you where we get that. In Hebrews, the writer said, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And listen to this. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. Here's a second-generation Christian saying, guys like Peter called this a great salvation. Sometimes we say we've been saved in three tenses. It's, salvation is in many tenses. We were saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. When we first come to Christ, we trust and obey Christ, we're saved from the penalty of sin. As we live our life by the Holy Spirit, we're saved from the power of sin. One day when we finally get to heaven, we will be saved from the presence of sin. Now there's a three-point sermon right there, but we'll save it for later. This really is a great salvation. Peter says a little bit down in the text, he says, you know, this is so amazing and this is so great that even angels who've, who've lived with the Father a lot longer than we have, they long to look into this and understand this. What in the world would our, our Lord, our King, what would he be doing by sending his son to save these dirty, sinful people? Look at the every inclination of the thoughts of their heart are evil. Why would he do this? And angels are scratching their heads. This is amazing that God would do this for them. It's a great salvation. And you and I are the recipients of it. We get all this in heaven too. In heaven too. You know, when I go down to Mercer County, where I'm from, my wife and I had the privilege to buy my grandparents' place, and, uh, and I go down there and cut grass still. My aunt lives near, and uh, it's, it's just, it's amazing. You know, the older you get, when, when you can hear sounds, or smell things, or see things that remind you of your childhood. And it's a satisfying feeling, isn't it? I and mean, it's just like, wow, I don't know where this is coming from, but it's deep down in my soul. 
And there's a particular point on the road that we turn off of, of Route 460 as it goes into Virginia. You turn off before you get there and then go up another road. And uh, there's a point uh, on that road where you can look down through the valley, way down there, and you can see my grandmother's house, my, my grandparents' house. My grandfather influenced me, and I'm in the ministry today because of it. And every time I see that, I always look for it, and every time I see it, I get this feeling of, I'm home. And this, this is in my bones. This is my place. And I'll probably end up there one day. You know, that's a saint. We should have that feeling. There's glimpses in your life. Maybe today when you're eating dinner with your family and you see your grandkids or your kids and, and, it's, a, it's, a, and it's an inexpressible feeling and you're like, hey, this is what heaven is going to be like. This is what it's going to be like. And when you get those glimpses in your life, treasure them. Treasure them. Because that's what we have. We don't have a nation that's going to come back and help us. We have a God who's going to save us from evil of this world. And that's what we long for. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your, the promise of heaven. Thank you for the life of Peter and how he was influenced and changed by your son, our Savior. And thank you for the words he left us. Lord, help us all to look through the, the fog of this life into eternity. And help us to live for that. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you've never accepted, trusted Christ for salvation, never been baptized, never put roots down, we invite you to do it. You know, baptism was the very first thing Jesus did when he started his ministry. And it's the last thing he commanded us to do before he left. It's pretty important. If you've never done it, we're ready for you any day, including today. If you've done that and you want to put roots down, we welcome you to be a part of this campus, of this church and uh, work with us arm in arm to do the Lord's work in this area. If you need prayer, if you have anything you'd like to talk to me about, come on up during or after the song. Would you stand and let's sing.